to your mother it's time for another episode of birds with friends just some high flying ran fast vertical stems of professors from Penn watching eagles eat and pray like pazookies on birthdays it's philadelphia marissa bow and zach kicking it cooler than three penguins till zach runs off with his valet keys he's a real nuanced goose pull up a branch get loose it's time for some juice on some birds with friends the early bird gets the worm but prefers getting turned like a turn on some birds with friends marissa bow and zach are here to squawk don't miss the mistress talk on some this is what it's all about we do daily podcasts for like two and a half weeks during training camp we got all kinds of time for guests and nonsense i will open up a two-hour block hello everybody and welcome to birds with friends day four of miners week thursday evening 805 p.m bo wolf zach berman marissa dunn uncoupled for this episode marissa how are you how's michael how's he feeling has he gotten any calls from agents yet uh not of the football variety but of the hollywood variety um he's doing great he was like he couldn't believe all the nice messages he was getting i'm like this is our you know birds with friends people lap it up they're amazing you know all the sickos like he they sent him a lot of nice tweets and dms and things people are mugging a gaps all over the city right now (laughs) yeah so he he had such a good time um when i was coming back in my office he was like you know i'll be down the hall if you need me (laughs) (laughs) i told you i i you know all the he's got the the edge all the football jargon uh and the and the analysis and the insight was great but i expected that from him i you know he had several really good moments of comedic timing where i you know I, i didn't know he had that in him i thought he did a great job well, I told him you said that earlier today, and he was like, so Bo thought I was funny? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I did. Like, oh, great. Here we go. You don't need a Now, I'm no fan of comedy, so I'm not a scholar, so I can't really. Yeah, as a fan of comedy, yeah. as a fan of comedy, I can attest, Michael has, he's yeah. a natural, right? I mean. <laughs> he had yeah. a lot of fun, so uh, appreciate you guys having him on because, um, you know, he likes to talk about this stuff, and it was it was really cool, so. Uh, bring your husband to work day it was very fun. Mm, so, very nice. Yeah. Meanwhile, bring your wives to work day. We still we're gonna make that happen. Yeah, Rachel doesn't doesn't seem very enthused about that that possibility. <laughs> I'm so not enthused about that. You're gonna have to work on it. <laughs> we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Meanwhile, you know, on the week when everybody's asking Nick Sirianni about you know the biggest game of your life as a coach what do you message to the players they're playing for a chance to get to the super bowl do you do anything different this week and he keeps saying you know no man what is it zach no man is greater than his cherished thoughts and habits yeah uh you know you and as zach has said you sink to the level of your preparation yeah what a week for zach berman just banging out story after story this week i think he's been i think he's been crushing it and uh zach just as you said it, you, you've been singing to the level of your preparation you've been crushing it it's it's nice of you to compliment me because i was actually going to leave this with complimenting you and i, I mean this sincerely. oh here we go is the that, real uh the real love fest now is that like 1 a.m last night 1 30 bo is is helping me edit my story making it significantly better like oh that's and, so cute yeah it was i i i messaged the him. real work yeah, no, but he 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 reconfigured parts of the story and it, he 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 made the finished product better. So I am grateful. I, I want to make sure our audience knows like that to me is the definition of a team player. His name's not on that story, 
but he's he's part of the success. I did complain to Josiah about that, but <laughs> um, but uh, Nag, would yeah, you no, say that's that your love language? Is what I would say. Words of affirmation are probably my. Emily well, like tell the teamwork that he was, you know, oh, you know, showing you at four, at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it, no, I it genuinely meant a lot to me. It was actually it was like one of the first things I I said to Emily this morning was was like how grateful I was. I mean, that's that's like selfless within itself. But to do it at one thirty, well, now, now that you're now that you're spilling the beans, spilling the tea, it's not so selfless anymore. What's that? And I'm just. Oh. It's fine. I'm. Um, I'm, then, I'm, I'm uh, of course, yeah. I would do that for you, Zach. Yeah. You, but you're my partner. But uh, but more stories to come, right? I, um, I'm excited for a piece Bo has coming out tomorrow. I'm excited for a piece. I have five thousand words transcribed on special teams. We'll see how much uh, wow. that, that gets through. I, I I don't want to speak out of turn, but uh, one of the players complimented Bo today for the originality of his story ideas. Jalen uh, hurts. That's right. <laughs> um, and then uh, and then I have uh, a story out actually that that came out last minute that i'm looking forward to writing after this a story from a different athletic writer is out tomorrow um on the eagles so we got some good stuff coming up and that doesn't even factor into what's coming up uh game weekend so make sure you check out the athletic and i'm enjoying these pods but i don't know how we do this during training camp because i am (laughs) i'm running out of words you know um i guess training camp we're not writing as much so obviously super bowl week we would do daily pods if they went on Sunday. Uh, what do we think for the, the, the interim week? Two or three. Um, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a football coach when I say this, like I'm not there yet. You know, I'm not, Be where your feet are. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's one of those things. Certainly uh, if, if they lose, if they lose, then we mm. have to, you know, when oh, they yeah. clean or out the locker, we may, we may be daily pods if they lose. Mm. No, I'm saying that uh, if they clean out the locker Monday, we're back Monday. If they win, then maybe we take Monday to regroup and we figure out. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so we can decide that. But it's been a, it's been a good week. What do you think about hourly pods? <laughs> we just do five minutes every hour. Everybody's got to stay at the top seems, of the hour. It kind of <laughs> seems it. Um, but I, I really like how how we've interspersed guests because I think that. Uh, that definitely enhances our shows. Well, a good transition, Zach, because at the end of the show today, we will be joined by Tim Kawakami from The Athletic, who covers all things Bay Area. He's got uh, some takes to uh, unfurl on the Niners. He was uh, a little bit, you know, Brock Purdy skeptical during training camp when there was some buzz about him at Niners camp, but he has become a bit of a believer. So we'll talk to him about that and some of the other things that are going on with the Niners as we uh, head into Sunday. But before we get to that, we're going to talk to the Stone Cold Newsman. We're going to do a little quill of the tape. We're going to talk about some of the ways that our uh, our minds about this game are maybe changing as the week goes on. we got to start, though, with the, the Stone Cold Newsman himself. The Eagles practice for the first time in full today in the bubble. Zach Berman was there to have eyes on everybody. The Philadelphia Eagles practiced for their NFC Championship game against the San Francisco 49ers, and the big story on the practice field was the return of Avante Maddox for the first time since Christmas Eve. Maddox with the team in a practice and looked from 
our eyes, like he, like he was running well, he was catching, spoke to Avante Maddox after practice, didn't want to say that, he did not want to say he was going to play, but he said he felt good out there. He said, I'll see how these next few days are going. He hopes to play, and when he does play, you're going to see Avante Maddox out there, he said. Uh, so that is a big boost for the Eagles. Lane Johnson continues to be limited. I should say. Wait, hold on a second. Can I, can I interrupt you? Sure. He said he, he didn't want to say that he was going to play, but he said when the Eagles play, he's going to be out there. No, he said it, it was, he was kind of asked like, will you be, you know, like a hundred percent or that kind of thing. Okay. And he said, when I'm on the field, ain't no holding back. When y'all okay. see me on the field, you'll see Avante Maddox. Okay. Got it. Uh, so that's what he was suggesting. I, I think they basically told him, don't say you're playing. Yeah. Right. So, because he kept being like, well, we'll see how these next few days go, but I want to play yeah, I mean, the token fall tomorrow, but yeah. Yes. Um, I asked, actually, I asked about the injury occurring and because if, if you were calling that Christmas Eve game, he made a big sack Got the sack. and then did the he, celebration. Did, he did the celebration and I asked if it, if the injury happened during the celebration. And he was very much adamant that the injury did not occur <laughs> during the celebration. He said he he said he felt something after the sack, and he looked down, and he thought that his cleat was messed up. So then he jumped, and he did the celebration, and he landed. And he's like, oh, this is not my cleat. Right? This is my toe. Uh, Jesus Christ. But he would not say what the injury was. <laughs> so gruesome. <laughs> He did not say what the injury was. He just said a toe. Someone said, was it a broken toe? Yeah, his toe fell off and was wiggling around <laughs> yeah. in his cleat loose. He said a broken toe. He said, if it was a broken toe, I wouldn't be out here. He said, he said have you ever seen anyone run on a broken toe? <laughs> um, uh, it sounds like something like a turtle. Yeah, I have. My daughter. Uh, so in, in, in any event, it, it's, it's looking good for Maddox. He was a limited participant. So is Lane Johnson. Did not get the chance to speak to Lane Johnson again after practice, but I'm guessing Lane Johnson's going to play. Other than that, they had their normal limited players based on rest. You know, a lot of the veterans were players who've been nursing injuries, but nothing to worry about. I actually think this is one of those rare weeks when all 53 guys are going to be available to play and the inactives are going to be healthy scratches. And maybe Anthony Harris, if they – uh, bring him up from practice squad to give him the game check. Uh, other than that, some news and notes. Howie Roseman was named Pro Football Writers Association Executive of the Year. Uh, it is his second time winning that award. He is the fourth general manager in NFL history to win the award multiple times. Two of those f- four, or I should say two of the other three, are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, interestingly enough. That's Bill Polian, Bo's favorite, and uh, George I'm Young. Not the Polian, it's Shield. <laughs> it's it's Shield, and then the other uh, executive who Shield hates each and every one of those four people equally was uh, Scott Pioli. Uh, so George Young, Scott Pioli, Bill Polian, and now Howie Roseman are the four people who've won it. I never really put together how similar the names Polian and Pioli are until today. Dynamite dropping Scott Pioli. Oh. <laughs> Uh, other than that, that's that's most the news from the NovaCare Complex. We spoke to Jason Kelsey and Fletcher Cox on the podium today. And TJ uh, Edwards. Playoff, and TJ Edwards. Uh, I definitely will not slight TJ. And then in addition to that, Nick, uh, uh, Nick Sirianni had an additional press conference. The During playoff week, they have press conferences every day. I told him as he came in, this is the best part of them making the playoffs. And I get to talk to him. I don't know if he shared a similar sentiment. Um, 
but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's always good hearing Nick and uh, that kind of day. And I, I should also add, it certainly sounds based on the reports from San Francisco that there's nothing to worry about with their running backs, but Christian McCaffrey continues to mispractice. So something Elijah Mitchell didn't practice either, right? Yeah. So something to monitor out of San Francisco. Back to you in the studio, Bo. Thanks so much, Zach. Uh, let's let's start with Avante. Um, because I would, at this point, seeing the way that he was running around and being a full participant, uh, I would be pretty shocked if he doesn't play on Sunday. So, assuming that he plays, what is your expectation for what we're going to see in the secondary? Great question. Because, as we've seen, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's look good there. Uh, but Avante Maddox has been awesome. All you, you had a good write-up during the bye week of every player on the 53-man roster. And I think for Avante, that's what you said. Like, he's been awesome when he's been on the field, mm. right? And it is true. So my guess is Avante back in the slot, CJ back at safety, and Reed Blankenship comes off the field. Uh, unless they use Avante situationally because he's missed a month. It's easy to remember that one because Christmas Eve's the 24th, today's the 26th, right? So he's, he's missed the month. He's been gone a month and two days here uh but um i still think you play your best 11 and that's avante in the slot and garner johnson at safety well here's the thing they've got they really have some options because remember the game like like right before avante got hurt he was doing the safety thing in mm -hmm. base he was at safety like if they wanted they could play him at safety and keep garner johnson in the slot I'm that also would be interesting. I'm also curious in the in the uh, interest of like keeping their best eleven guys on the field. Is there is there a situation where they lean on dime a little bit more and have Reed Blankenship in the box as sort of like a pseudo linebacker instead of Kaiser White? Because I think you can make a case that Reed Blankenship is better right now than Kaiser White. Um, I know that that's not I like if if they're if this this death lineup of of the 21 personnel that the, the Niners have you don't want to go super light because they'll run the ball on you but I don't know I I for the I'm I'm really curious to see how Gannon's going to deploy these guys because he could stay chalk or like you can like I'm thinking about who do you trust the most to uh, react to all the motion right who knows the rules best of the defense. And I don't know that my answer is Garner Johnson at safety in that situation. Mm -hmm. I think I might rather have him at nickel. And I think I might trust Maddox and Blankenship more on the back end. Well, that that Garner Johnson Maddox lineup that, that you just brought up, that's the first time I've thought of it where they switch spots. And it's actually a really good idea, especially if you're talking about using Garner Johnson in almost like a matchup role uh, with, with McCaffrey type. Um, I mean, Maddox, I'm, I'm not saying Gardner Johnson's not smart out there. Uh, Maddox is, is been like, he's, he's just, he, he knows this defense so well, he's been in it longer. Uh, I could see that. That's, that's an interesting thought. I, I think we're going to see a lot of the five, one, five. I think that's, I yeah. think that's going to be what we see the yeah. most of with the defense on Sunday, but I don't know what that, and there could be different packages of who the, who the five on the back end are. Yeah, I, I lean less toward what you're saying about this this like heavy nickel where you you have Blankenship in that Kaiser White spot. Yeah, just an idea. Yeah, because I, I don't know how Blankenship would 
play in that specific role. Right. right? We, we haven't, we haven't seen, seen that, that, that would look. be, yeah. and I'm, I'm less bearish on Kaiser white than you seem to be. Um, but, and perhaps more bearish on Reed Blankenship than you seem to be. Although funny aside. So, so my, my son, uh, is bringing in the, uh, the game, I, I guess I'm giving a personal note here. My, my son's Unprompted. bringing in the Eagles game book for like a show and tell tomorrow. And uh, he, he did this last week, but you know, he, he doesn't really know anything about football yet. Um, but he, he knows they have a player on their team named Reed. My son's name is Reed. And so he had me open the book up to uh, the Reed Blankenship page. And he wants to show his class Reed on the Eagles because he is because because he's Reed. So uh, in a kindergarten class, it's also good because he's also the youngest white guy on the team. So there's a <laughs> bit well, of a, an extra connection, and it's also Reed B, right? There you so go. Just like yeah, I should I should actually ask. It'd be weird if I asked Reed Blankenship his middle name, but if they had all three mm. initials the same. But in 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 any event, um, there's a kindergarten class that is going to have Reed Blankenship uh, media guide page. Uh, for show and tell. So if anyone wants to find out about, if anyone in the class wants to, I think the page, I haven't read it in a few weeks, but it's from Athens, Alabama. He's same hometown as, uh, as Quez Watkins. It's from, he went to a, um, a small school. Uh, it's in there. And I think his, he grew up an Alabama fan. That, that might be in the, in the bio. It's, it's, it's been a bit of time, but uh, All right, Zach, yeah. 20 questions on what his middle name is. Uh, do you know what it is? I do. I couldn't I couldn't tell you. I mean, I don't know. That's what 20 productive. questions is for. Is this really productive podcasting? Yes. Um, 20 <laughs> questions on Reed Blankenship's middle name. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, is it like a common name? Yes. Yeah, Marissa's about to smoke you again. Does it begin with an S? Yes. Oh. It does? <laughs> yes. He has the same yeah. same three initials as my son. Really? Oh my yeah. god! What is your you son's middle name? Gotta go wake Reed up and tell him that. <laughs> I'm not waking him up. What is Reed's middle? What is your son's middle name? Uh, Spencer. Okay. That that doesn't count as a guess, but it could be Spencer still. <laughs> um. So it starts with that. Scott. That's correct. <laughs> Marissa's unbelievable. I love this game. <laughs> <laughs> Crushing it. Uh. Well, there you go. R S Reed S B. SB for Super Bowl. Mm, there you go. I'm gonna I'm an objective porter here, but my but my son's allowed to he's allowed to get into it in his class. So yes, of course. Your yes. son does not have to take on your objectivity. <laughs> okay. At what, four years old? He's uh, yeah, he's yeah, he's five years old. Almost five. six, right? <laughs> six. Uh all right, Zach. Um you know, we had our we had our session with Michael yesterday. Uh, and we talked to Dan McQuaid on Tuesday. We talked about how I said on Tuesday, I was feeling like pretty heavy that I thought the Eagles were going to win this game. Uh, and you said you sort of agreed with me now that we are two days later. How do you feel? Uh, what's your, what's your temperature on the matchup at this point? So I think it depends on how the game is played. Okay. And what I mean by that, and that might seem like an obvious comment, if the game is played the way that Cowboys-Niners game was played last week, I think advantage Niners. If this is a fourth-quarter game, low-scoring fourth-quarter game, I think that plays into the Niners' hands. And then I think that the Niners can come out with an upset. If the Eagles can get off to an early lead, 
I think they win this game. And because I, I think that if they can force Brock Purdy into being a dropback quarterback, right, which might seem like an obvious statement to make, but then you neutralize some of the play action in, in that situation. Your pass rush gets at him. The, uh, the crowd's into the game. All of a sudden, Brock Purdy's arm needs to beat you. You, you, you can't hide Purdy in that spot. Then I think the Eagles win. And so I guess it's a roundabout way of saying I'll have a better answer at the end of the first quarter of the game, which you well, might yeah, be able to say course. in every game. But my point being that if this is a low-scoring game, this is an ugly low-scoring game, it favors the 49ers. If the Eagles score early, I think the Eagles win. I don't think the Niners are scoring with the Eagles into like the, the, the high 20s or 30s. I think if the Niners win this game, it's like the Cowboys game last week. It's played in the teens. I'm not sure that I agree that like a fourth quarter game necessarily. I mean, there are a million factors, right? But I'm I am focused on like Kyle Shanahan's game management in a in a tight game like that. Um, and I don't know that he's got the the game management stones to make it happen in the fourth quarter of a tight game. Um and then it's like a little bit more pressure on Purdy. I don't know. I mean, these are all unknowable things. Um, I don't know. I, I I am sort of feeling like I I fully acknowledge that this game is is close to a toss up, and there's every possibility that the Eagles turn the ball over a couple times, and it's a you know it's a nine possession game, and that's the end of that. Um, but I think that if the Eagles do not beat themselves, if they, if they, I, I think if the Eagles don't have any turnovers, I, I would be shocked if they lose this game. That's sort of how I feel. I think, I think if they line up and, and like both teams are their best or both teams are playing at a similar level, I think the Eagles win the game. I'm going to call you out for a second here. Okay. okay? Because you say, I, I make this obvious statement that let me tell you at the end of the first quarter and then I'll tell you how the game's going to go. You say, sure. If they don't turn over the ball, well, of course. How many times do teams well, yeah. do teams lose games? Yeah, but you're telling me turnovers? if the Eagles jump out to an early lead, I think they're going to win the game. Yeah. I think that's a if, little bit different. I'm no, not saying if, if the Eagles if win the, Eagles, the turnover battle. I say if if neither team turns the ball over, yeah. I feel good about the Eagles' chance. You're saying if the Eagles don't turn the ball over, they're they're going to okay. Win this game. I, if the Eagle, if the if the uh, turnover battle is equal, I think the Eagles win the game. The Eagles have that? three losses this year, and in each yeah. of those games, they have. They had four turnovers in two of them, and then I think two turnovers. In okay. The, other. the Eagle so, when when the Eagles go up by thirty points, they haven't lost yet this year. Um, what do you want me to say? I wasn't talking like, about that. I was, I was here. Let's say if if they're up by ten points in the first half, they of would, course they would have a huge advantage in win probability if they were up okay. by ten points. Okay. Okay. That's uh, <laughs> those are not equal. I, I would probably argue that that they are equal. I think they're. You think being up by ten points and being equal in the turnover battle is 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 an equal edge in win probability? No way. Uh, I I the I Eagles are favored data. by two and a half points, yeah. right? And right now the turnover battle is equal. If the Eagles were up by ten points, they would not be favored to win the game by two and a half points. They're facing a team that's number one in the league in turnover differential. Yeah, so they're number three. If they don't turn over the ball against the team that's number one in turnover differential, then they're going to win this game. Yeah, no, 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 no crap, right? I was about to say no shit, but no crap. Right? So, <laughs> yes, that, anyway. <laughs> four pods in. Yes. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, that's that's kind of how I see it, right? I, I I think we're both making obvious statements, but no, I do agree with you. I think that uh, the if if they're turning over the ball, they're playing into the the Niners' hands. The reason I'm saying that's obvious is because the only indicator really of Eagles losses this year has basically been turnovers, right? There, you know, that's that's like the common denominator in their three losses. It had, yeah, has been true. turned the ball over. So, yeah, I I would venture to say that if they're turning the ball over in this game, it it does not bode well for their chances of winning. I don't think there's because I also don't think there this is going to be a, a high possession game, right? This is and so, I think that, yeah, I think that's part of the part of the concern if you if you are worried about the Eagles. Yeah. So if 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 you turn over if you're if if you waste possessions or if you give them and are we allowed to say that we taped the Tim Kawakami interview earlier? So no, we, why would you do that? Well, you have an Eagles backdrop in yeah. it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. In a, so you're that. in a literal different location. So yes, yeah. okay. Yeah. So um when Tim was 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 talking about uh and I, I guess this is a tease, the field position for the Niners. And I talked about this actually on Monday in our initial thoughts on the show. I'm, I'm in, in Mike Sando's uh column one on Monday, he had that great note about the average starting field position. And yeah, if, if you're giving the Niners short fields, um, that's huge for this offense. What, what, what you want the Niners to have to do is drive long fields with their rookie quarterback on the road. And so so turnovers almost by definition, unless you're turning the ball over in your scoring zone. And when you do that, then you're taking points off your off the, off the board for you. Um, in, the, in any way you slice it, turnovers are, are going to be a horrible outcome in this game. Okay. I still think I'm correct about the argument, but we can we can move on. One thing that that we sort of danced around yesterday that seems to have become a talking point. I like I am not worried about the 49ers like running the ball all over the Eagles, even though the Eagles don't have this great, you know, rushing defense by DVOA. And we've been over the the splits pre and post Linval Joseph. Like if if I'm an Eagles fan, I am much more worried about play action over the middle of the field. They're getting Kaiser White in space. Uh, you know, Debo Samuel gets a step and can bust a big play. I, I understand that there are um, there's a path that they can control the clock and limit possessions, and that is a concern. But I am not. I am not. I don't think, especially with these two running backs banged up. That it's it's not something I don't think the Eagles are going to go into this game knowing that the Niners want to run and they're going to get run over. I just I don't see that. Yeah, good point. And I think you put it really well in the in the beat writer roundtable that we had Wednesday. Um, that I think Jonathan Gannon's probably more worried about play action and passes to the running back and maybe short passes in the middle of the field when the yards after the catch are a problem than the Niners running all over them. And I also agree that, that, that there's this, this misnomer, or I don't know if I'm using the word correctly. Misconception. Misconception, misconception about. Is there a Mr. The, conception? <laughs> about the, uh, the commander's game being this template. The commanders ran the ball. Like they had a lot of yards in that game. They also had three and a half yards per carry yeah, or something I mean, like that. The Eagles had the four Eagles turnovers. Would, it's yeah. The Eagles would take nonsense. that. They, it was the turnovers then and then I do think time of possession matters. The Eagles have a high scoring offense, right? So if, if you're converting, I think like third down 
conversions matter more than total rushing yards. If you're converting third downs at a high rate and you're keeping the Eagles off the field, and when you're converting third downs at a high rate, I'm assuming you're you're not converting third and twelves, right? I'm I'm, I'm assuming that you, that you're getting third and manageables, which neutralizes the Eagles' pass rush to a certain extent when you're in third and two and third and three. Uh, so the game flow is is different there. So yeah, I agree that I don't think the the uh, 49ers run offense is the major concern here. I think what what you're worried about is maybe the the run bleeding into play action and how that affects play action because this is this can be an effective play action offense. Uh, and then, like I said, third down conversions. If 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 you're in third and two and third and three, then play actions um, that's more effective. You can run the ball out of, out of those formations. Um, so that's that's why I I keep going back to like situational football. You, you you need to get them in third and plus and not third and two, third and three. Well, it's interesting to think about like the the defensive splits for the Eagles, right? They're they're in the number one DBOA defense against the pass and you know whatever it is against the run. And yet, like if if they were going up against Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes, I would be terrified. Um, and not just because quarterback matters more, but because the way that we've seen them lose is like you're saying, like like cons- con- consistent short yardage completions, guys who can maintain drives. And this Niners offense, like if the if if the Eagles can play the Jonathan Gannon like ideal game, if they can limit explosive plays and force the Niners to move the ball down the field and maintain those possessions, which I think is what the Niners want to do. And so it's this interesting matchup where, like, Gannon, I think, is is sort of inviting what Shanahan wants to do. But if you're going to force Brock Purdy to, you know, complete third and five all the time, um, maybe that's what the Niners want. But I think that that's sort of okay for the Eagles. I think they're willing to accept that. Like, you know, Brock Purdy, yeah, he's – he's uh, Second in EPA per dropback since entering the, the the starting lineup, right? Um, but do we really believe that? And like in the in the pressure of the NFC Championship game against a really good defense, the second good defense that he's played in this atmosphere, um, is he is that going to hold up? I think that's sort of the the challenge of the game, and it's it's just like just just knowing how what the Eagles' actual strengths are uh, by the numbers, but also having watched them and all of us having experienced this defense, it's a little bit disparate in terms of what you would actually want to see from the opposing offense, I think. Well, let me ask you this about Purdy um, because we, we did talk about him on Monday's pod. And, and because you and I and did we, invent him, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to get some insight from Tim. But I am curious uh, because we've had the chance now to see him in recent weeks. The 49ers ha- have, have been on in their own time slots. Um, context independent here. How would if if you didn't know anything about him and yet, and you were just watching film of him as a quarterback, would you be concerned or have you seen enough reason to doubt him on on film this year? I mean, from what I've watched, last week was the only time he's really looked shaky, um, and there were certainly plays last week where he got away with some stuff. Um, and you know, maybe you think that was uh, an outlier based on how he did in the first five or six games, or maybe you think that this was the reaction to playing the first really quality defense that he has played. Um, so I think there is, I think there's reason to be a little bit skeptical. I mean, like the base rate of him being a, you know, seventh round rookie 
Uh, I think the seventh round matters less than the rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, well you know, said. That, he, that's a really good way of framing it. Yeah. He, he hasn't, yeah, he hasn't, you know, it's, it's like we talk about with all these guys with Jalen hurts, you know, you got to build up the reps, right? Yeah. No, he's still building up the reps and he had, you know, he played a ton in college. And I think there's a reason that um, starts in college is, a, is, is like somewhat predictive, but yeah, I would be skeptical about, you know, him going into Philadelphia against a, a good defense in a hostile environment and, and being as good as he was, in the regular season, I think there is reason to be a little bit skeptical. By the way, now that you, like you just said starts in, in college can be predictive, um, credit to Andy Staples on The Athletic had a good piece today. And the premise of the piece is, like, who's who's the Brock Purdy in, in this year's draft? But the top of the piece was about conditions that, that make Brock Purdy um, a, who he was this year. And he, he talked about the starts that he had. And there was a quote in there, I think, from Georgia's offense coordinator, Todd Monken, where he he, he kind of threw water on the idea of, like, a, a backup quarterback, um, a backup quarterback benefiting from practice reps because I think the, the quote was, was basically, in practice, all you're doing as a backup is just reading the card, right? Like, you, you need to have meaningful on-field reps to actually get that experience, and that's why starting is so valuable. Um, and, and, and that's been the case with Purdy. The other things he, he talked about the pro style offense, actually his offensive coordinator at Iowa state was Tom Manning, who was the tight ends coach for the Colts when Sirianni was there under Frank Reich, and also was a teammate of, um, of Sirianni's at Mount union. And you can find Tom Manning in Bo's outstanding piece when, uh, Sirianni was hired on, it was like an oral history of Sirianni's time at Mount purple mountain pipeline or purple rail pipeline. So uh, in that piece, um, but well, so, so Tom Manning's offense helped. And then the other condition that they discussed that I actually uh, I thought was interesting too, was that he wasn't playing with high level or like he wasn't playing with elite NFL talent relative to an Ohio state quarterback or an Alabama quarterback or an Oklahoma quarterback. Now Jalen hurts in this game is awesome. And he played in college with elite talent every year, but basically the, thought was that a seventh round quarterback a a quarterback in the environment purdy was in has to have certain conditions about him to uh, to succeed that you you might that that might not be the case if you're playing with first round picks and second round picks at your skill spots well it's interesting you bring up the uh you know the tom manning connections act because i saw a really interesting nugget from peter schrager of nfl <laughs> network uh mentioning that the eagles actually have two guys on the staff who were at iowa state with uh, with Brock Purdy, good, <laughs> yeah, good, good nugget, good dig up by Shrigs. Well, it, it was a good segment that Peter had on 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 uh, on, the, on the on the football show this morning, but I it, it was also on the Athletic yesterday. You can check that out. <laughs> and and credit EJ Smith asked the question. I mean, it's not like I was the only person who knew about Tyler Scudder and and DK McDonald. EJ asked in Tuesday's press conference to Gannon, "What kind of resource DK McDonald?" Has, has been this week and and Gannon um, spoke about uh, how how they talked about how how they've already used McDonald as a resource and if I can give a plug too I had a story um, <laughs> here we go I, I I had a story when Sirianni was hired where I actually quoted DK McDonald when he was an assistant still at Iowa State because McDonald was a groomsman in Sirianni's wedding or and also uh, they lived together when they were 
coaches at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. So I, I if you really want to know a DK McDonald nugget, he went to uh, or he coached at IUP with Sirianni and they lived together in that. So uh, mm. that's great stuff. Now, also yeah. credit to Schrager did apologize uh, in the in the tweet thread. He said he was sorry. He should have known that, that Zach had it. <laughs> no, so this is not a, this is not a full tessitor situation he's off the hook <laughs> yeah but I, I i actually would have liked the pub on good morning football that that yeah i mean if if they could have plugged well i think they actually did a worse stuff. thing but when <laughs> i actually don't remember if it was schrager or uh uh or kyle brandt kyle Br i think it was i think it was now kyle that brandt. was worse that was worse they did they did like the best five stories of preseason and one of them was michael dunn and I didn't oh, give yeah. any love to the Michael Dunn story. Yeah. They had all the transactions, too. It was like unbelievable. Were, it was, yeah, they had yeah. all the transactions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a little bit of love, please. Yeah, that's, yeah. I I always appreciate the national announcer who who gives who gives credit to the beat writer. Give us some right? crumbs, you know. Yeah, the story. There was a, yeah, there was a really good story. <laughs> uh, no, there was a really good story on The Athletic um last weekend uh by jason quick our out, outstanding blazer you know nba reporter knows about uh the blazers writer out in portland and it was about uh it was about justice winslow uh and kind of what he had to overcome and endure in recent years and stan van gundy gave a shout out on the espn broadcast and uh and, and mentioned you know the athletic and quick so yeah i always like when they do that mm, stan was spitting I don't get the reference. No. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Uh, all right, Zach. Let's uh, before we get to Tim Kawakami, let's do our, our little quill of the tape here, a little throwback, since we got a a uh, daily pod run down. Uh, very matter of fact, the position by position breakdown, how these teams match up against each other, and obviously it's not quarterback versus quarterback, but this is just to get a general sense of things. Mm -hmm. On one side at quarterback, Zach, you got Brock Purdy who is completing, including the playoffs, 65.9% of his passes, 8.4 yards per attempt, 0.21 EPA per dropback. That's second best in the league. On the other side, you got Jalen Hurts. He's completing 66.5% of his passes for 8 yards per attempt. He's just 0.009 EPA per dropback, but obviously that does not factor in everything he does in the run game as a uh, a planned runner. It does include scrambles, but it doesn't include design runs. Who do you give the edge to at quarterback Jalen hurts or proc birdie? Jalen hurts. He's a, he's a bona fide MVP candidate for a reason. I think, uh, yeah, this is not a controversial take Jalen hurts. I don't think we gave enough because, uh, it, the story had just come out uh, on Tuesday, your story, um, about the mind of Jalen hurts, the triple threat. Um, and, uh, we have talked about it, but, you know, he really has improved this year and it's the same thing that we were just sort of alluding to with, with, you know, Brock Purdy being a rookie, the, the bank of reps that he is getting, yeah. uh, in year three has really like, you have seen that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, let, let, you, you, you have seen it really improve. It's, it's taken a drastic jump. Um, sure. what's I mean? Can't think of the word that I'm trying to think of. Anyway, before the snap, he does so much for this yeah. offense than and 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 seems to be much more advanced than he was last year. Yeah, and I spoke to Brian Johnson for that story, and there were two things that jumped out to me. And since in speaking to Brian, because I I really wanted to, I I didn't just want to say he's using his mind. Like 
what does that look like and how does that translate to the field? Well, the thing Brian emphasized is, is that you can really tell in between snaps with the information that they're bringing back to you, right? When you pull up the tablet and the quarterback already knows what he's like, he's spot on about what he saw, about what they're doing, about what he's supposed to do. He said, that's an indicator of how the mind's working on the field. Um, and, and that's been the case between tribes. And then he, I, so I spoke to him after the week 14 giants game and he pointed like right away to two plays in the giants game. One, we all remember, which was that, that fourth and seven, I think it was to Devonte Smith, uh, when giants were sending five, they were in man coverage. He read, uh, the coverage. He made a pre-snap read Devonte talked about it after the game. He made a route adjustment and it turned into a touchdown. Now, Devontae made an outstanding catch, right? That could have been intercepted, but still, it was, it was the right adjustment at the line of scrimmage. And then, and then the other one was earlier in the game, there was a, a, just like a check down to Zach Paschal, but apparently yeah. on that play, they had something else dialed up, and like the, the, the coverage just made it so that wasn't the case. And Jalen made a really good decision going to Paschal, uh, moving the chains, and Sirianni brought that play up too unprompted as as an example of like the types of reads and that that Jalen's making. So yeah, his he's winning games with his mind in addition to his arm and his legs. Uh Zach, before we get to running back, uh there is one bit of news that I think we maybe we should just unpack just a little bit. And that is uh Frank Reich getting yes. named the Panthers head coach uh because that was a potential landing spot for Shane Steichen. And also because Frank Reich becoming a head coach means that he might be looking to do a little bit of poaching from the Eagles staff. Mm. So even if right now it looks like maybe the Eagles are going to escape without potentially losing Steichen or Gannon, uh, or at least it looks like Steichen right now is probably not going to get hired. I think Gannon very much in the mix for that Houston job. Yeah. Um, even if they keep Steichen, it, it seems like maybe they might, I wouldn't be surprised if they lose some of the uh, underlings um, to, to Reich staff. I think, of like you know like a like a Patulo for instance would he yeah. want to go there be 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 Reich's offensive coordinator or something like that? That's a really good point. It's, it's it's something to watch. In addition to the fact that guys are always looking for promotions, uh, as as they should. I I don't know this for a fact with the Eagle staff. I so I suppose I'm, I'm I'm speculating here, but most assistant coach contracts are two year deals, mm. and so there's more mobility. After that, that uh, second, after that second year, good point. Um, because if you're not under contract, you 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 can't be blocked, right? So um, this has come up a few times. Now, sometimes people don't. Uh, coaches will always let their position coaches go for promotion. Sometimes they they don't. And if you remember John D. Filippo, after the 2016 season, I believe the Jets wanted to hire him as offensive coordinator, but the Eagles didn't want to let him go. His contract, he, I, the next year he was able to go to Minnesota as their offensive coordinator. Jonathan Gannon, when he came to Philly as the defensive coordinator, he could have gone to other places as the defensive coordinator, but he couldn't be blocked because I believe his contract was expiring. I don't think. Mm. Um, so, um, so yeah, so because it's the second year of the staff, there also might be guys who are able to leave because of their contract. So they could, even if it's a lateral move or a move to a, just a, a title change, um, there's always that possibility. And I would also say knowing the Sirianni-Reich relationship and knowing that Reich let Sirianni take some people from the staff, he's not going to like angrily put his foot down 
if Frank wants to give a guy a bit of a bump, uh, I would imagine that he's going to be more willing to like, he would, he would let somebody go to Frank more, more likely than he would let somebody go to, Shane. you know, yeah. to Shane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Uh, all right. Eagles up one, nothing. They got the quarterback running back. Miles Sanders, 1,269 yards rushing this season on 4.9 yards per carry. Christian McCaffrey, uh, a little bit less, 1,139 yards rushing on 4.7 yards per carry. Miles Sanders, his uh, next-gen stats, like rushing, the percentage of his rushing yards over expected, 44.7%. That's 10th in the league. Christian McCaffrey, 39.2. That's 30th in the league. Maybe tilting a little bit in Miles Sanders' favor. However, Christian McCaffrey had 85 catches for 741 yards. Miles Sanders, 20 catches for 78 yards. Yeah. I can't Miles, even uh, remember 20 that like like yeah. I'm shocked he even had that many. I'm going Christian McCaffrey here. I think Christian McCaffrey, when he's healthy, is banged up though. Uh, Not healthy. I think Christian McCaffrey's the best running back in the NFL. And oh, come on, get out of here. Okay. I mean, you, you feel that strongly against it? I actually, well, now Christian McCaffrey is a former uh, Grouse Award winner. I think that Christian McCaffrey as a runner is very overrated. Well, there's there's more to the position than simply taking handoffs. We're well, that's why I qualified as a runner. Okay. I think he is not that dangerous of a runner. I think the, I think, I think the entire value that makes him good is 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 him as a receiver. I don't think that's the entire value, but I think that that certainly enhances his. his I think value. it's fine. I've, I've said this on the podcast before. He's I like a rich tell, man's Kenny Gainwell. I've I've had someone tell me before the 2017 draft that if he was if he just had a wide receiver next to his name, he's he would have been a first round pick. Still, like, yeah, that's how good that. he was. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think Chris. I think Christian McCaffrey. I, I I mean, all of a sudden you're pro you're pro Miles Sanders. We had a podcast earlier this year when you said the Eagles need a real running back. Yeah. And now you're taking Miles Sanders over Christian McCaffrey. I didn't say I would take him. I'm just saying, okay. you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm going with I'm going McCaffrey here. He's but, no Elijah but Mitchell. But we should accelerate this game, by the way. Like, okay. we're, we're only on running back since 851. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The good news is we're not keeping Tim Kawakami waiting. Yeah. The interview has already happened. I, I, I have writing to do tonight. So do I. Do. Yeah. So we're trying to entertain the people. Yeah. <laughs> as, as as if the five hours, six hours of content so far this week is not sufficient enough. Let's keep rolling here. This is part of our job too. <laughs> you got it. All right, we'll give we'll give the Niners running back, but keep in mind those guys are banged up. It might not be might not, might not be so simple. Wide receiver. The Niners have Brandon Ayuk, seventy eight catches for one thousand and fifteen yards this season. 1.87 yards per route run. That was 28th in the league. Debo Samuel, 56 catches for 632 yards. 1.86 yards per route run. That was 29th in the league. He also had 42 carries for 232 yards. The Eagles have Devontae Smith, 95 catches for 1,196 yards. 2.0 yards per route run. That was 19th in the league. And then there's A.J. Brown, the cantankerous A.J. Brown, who's going to demand the ball against the Niners' outside corners. 2.53 yards per route run. That was third in the league. 88 catches for 1,496 yards. You've also got Quez Watkins and Zach Paschal. The Niners have Jawan Jennings, the big fella from Tennessee. Zach, 
Who do you take at wide receiver? And don't give me any of this push nonsense. I'm not doing push. I'm taking the Eagles. I think the yes. Eagles have a top three wide receiver combination in, in the league. I think the only teams that I would even say are in the conversation for above them uh, would be Miami and Cincinnati. Um, and, but you can make good arguments that the Eagles are equal to or above those teams. I'm very bullish on AJ. I'm very bullish on Devontae. I really like uh, this Eagles group. Not taking anything away from Debo, um, nor Brandon Ayuk, but I I don't think Ayuk's at the level of Devontae, and I think that AJ is the best receiver in this game. I agree with you. I think they get they get the edge. Tight end, George Kittle, one point eight yards per route run. That's fourth among tight ends. Dallas Goddard. 1.87 yards per route run. That's third among tight ends. Both good blockers. One of them a little bit less sane than the other. What do you got? <laughs> uh, George Kittle. Uh, and I think Goddard's a good... I, I, I mean, like I don't think Goddard takes a backseat to many players in this league, but I would take Kittle over him. I think Kittle's been... Uh, he's, he's shown in terms of his ability to block, his ability to catch, his ability to have yards after the catch. Uh, he's, he's, he might be the best uh, well, I think Kelsey's the best pass catching tight end in the league, in the league for sure. But, uh, Kittle is, is not taking a backseat to many players. I don't know. I think this is pretty close. I think you can make a case for Dallas Goddard. Um, but I think a lot of his production is like the way that they use him. Um, so I guess I'll, I guess I'll go Kittle just for the, for the sake of the game to keep it close. But honestly, really, I, I think I might rather have Dallas Goddard okay. just for like, Sanity's sake. Uh, offensive line. Niners obviously have Trent Williams, maybe the best left tackle in football. They were uh, 11th in sack rate this season, fourth in football outsiders adjusted line yards. Uh, they've got a bit of a potential weakness in Mike McGlinchey at right tackle. Watch yourself. Uh, the interior is fine. The Eagles have the best right tackle in football in Lane Johnson, although he's playing through a torn adductor. You've got the best center in the league in Jason Kelsey, solid guards in Landon Dickerson and Isaac Sayamalu, and Jordan Mailata, who has uh, not been quite as good as expected. They are uh, 24th in sack rate, although obviously that probably has more to do with the style of play on the quarterback. Uh, sixth in football outsiders adjusted line yards. Who do you got? Offensive line. Eagles offensive line. I mean, there's a reason why every player on this offensive line is either a Pro Bowl or a Pro Bowl alternate. A Pro Bowl alternate. Um, I like this group. They're coached by perhaps the best offensive line coach in the NFL. Uh, we had an offensive line expert on the show last night who literally told us what makes this group special. And so I am. Who am I to disagree with, with Michael Dunn? So give me the Eagles. Yes, one of the two best offensive lines in the league, along with the Cleveland Browns. The edge goes to the Eagles. Defensive tackle, Zach. Linval Joseph, Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, Dominican Sue, Milton Williams, or Eric Armstead and the Niners crew. Who do you got? Probably the Eagles based on the depth of the group. Uh, Fletcher Cox had a line today that they don't look at it as like their starting lineup or their backups. It's it's just like one and one A. And yeah, the the depth, especially when you added Sue and Joseph to a group that a Hargrave, we heard Michael talk last night about just what Hargrave provide uh, the 
the way he he uh, he challenges defenses or I'm sorry offenses. Cox has done it for 11 years now. Uh, you 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 have Sue, you have Joseph, Jordan Davis, Milton Williams. I really like the depth of the group as much as I like Armstead. The depth of the Eagles' defensive tackles gives them the edge. I think I agree with you. Give them the edge. Speaking of edge, we go to the edge. Mm-hmm. Nick Bosa, probably the best edge yeah. in the game. But then the Eagles might have the next like three best. If you go Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat, Brandon Graham versus uh, Samson Ebucom, Charles Amenahue, who uh, apparently is going to be given the uh, green light to play if he's healthy from Kyle Shanahan. We're going to ask uh, Tim Kawakami about that as well. Seems like a nice thing for the Niners to do, just juju-wise, make sure that everybody uh, can root against them in uh, in good faith. Uh, so, you know what here? This is hard because Bosa is is that he's been do the best you take, do you take the best one year. or do you take the better depth yeah. and the thing about it is is that like one edge rusher you know an elite player like bosa can change can change a game we saw that frankly last september when he had two sacks against the eagles uh he he can change a game um but i'm i'm going with the depth here uh, i've i've seen and i've seen time and time again the benefit of rolling through those bodies, right? Brandon Graham, first time in his career with double-digit sacks in a year that he's not starting. That's that's because of the way they're using him. I think Josh Sweat, uh, that that New Orleans game kind of took off some of the shine. Uh, when I said the New Orleans game, he had a very scary injury that game. But if you take out that game when he left in the first quarter, he's had sacks now in, I think, six straight games or seven straight games. I mean, he, he's been on a roll. And even if, as 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 Michael said, um, Andrew Thomas did a good job against him, he still had a strip sack, right? And that's the thing with that position is is that you make one rush where you have a big sack and a strip like that, that can change the course of a game. So um, I think the Eagles' depth there, and, and and that's not even mentioning Hassan Reddick, who is very close to the category of Nick Bosa, at least in production. So uh, give me the Eagles' edge rushers. Okay. Uh I think I would agree with you. Give it to the Eagles. Linebacker. Now, this one's close. You got TJ Edwards and Kaiser White with Nicobe Dean behind him. Or Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. Yeah, this is probably the spot on the field where there's the biggest delta, right? And Well, back, but... Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, but... I think and... I'd probably go Eagles here. <laughs> the 49ers have such an edge here. And I, I thought Tim Kawakami, um, you'll hear him talk about uh, what these 49ers linebackers give them. But in Philly, where there's so much talk about linebackers, right, you don't have to worry about the middle of the field in, in, in San Francisco. And it's not – they're not just trying to get by. Like, those guys change the game. And so, yeah, there's a big delta there. Fred Warner's awesome. Greenlaw's playing really well. So give me give me the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is not close. Yeah. This is – uh, like this is what makes their defense so good. This is why they can play that penetrating style that Michael talked about last night. Um, yeah, total blowout. Uh, corner. Eagles. I mean, yeah, yeah I Eagles. mean, this is actually, this is like not quite as as uh, lopsided as linebacker, but it's pretty close. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Bradbury and Slay, Slay Bradbury, whichever one you want to uh, name first, 
I think it's the best cornerback combination in, in the NFL. And I think we've seen evidence of it. The way they played against the Giants last week showed uh, a lot of that was because they were tight in coverage. Um, these guys are, are top of their game right now. And so give me Slay and Bradbury. A big question in this game seems to be whether the Niners are going to travel their corners mm-hmm. or whether they're going to stick them on sides. I was listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Good uh, prep, as always, with Fran Not best like the best? Yeah, no, I was actually listening to – I was trying to do my job and inform my own opinions as opposed to, yeah. you know, finding out what Daryl Morey's galaxy brain take on soccer is. Yeah, I was trying to stimulate my mind, right? So, I was, yeah, that's, that's always You're important. stimulating something. Uh, uh, <laughs> Don't know what that means. Neither do I. Um, and uh, the guest, uh, whose name escapes me, um, from the Niners was, was talking about how um, – D'Amador Lenoir has uh, Jimmy Ward was talking about how he does better when he doesn't have to travel um, with Charverio. Like he, if Charverius toward travels, that means Lenoir has to travel, and Lenoir doesn't do as well like that. So they're they're better off when they're static uh, side by side. However, like matchup wise, you think it would make more sense to have Charverius Ward on on AJ Brown, but we'll see. Um, and I think that. I mean, it really does seem like we can get to this tomorrow, but the Eagles making plays on the outside is going to be this whole game on offense. Um, how how good of a game can A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith have against those two? Yeah, I actually saw something similar earlier this week. It might have been the Athletics' uh, Dave Lombardi. Um, if it's not, I apologize, where they said the game that A.J. Brown had against San Francisco last year compelled them to go after a cornerback like Ward. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Brown had mm-hmm. a huge game against them. Uh, you mentioned Len, is it Len, uh, Lenoir? Um, he was in coverage, I believe, when Chris Watkins had, had the the 91 yard reception last year. That's right. Uh, I, I caught up with Quez today. He, of course, watched that film this week. Um, yeah, so the Eagle, it, the thing with Jimmy Ward, from what I understand, is that. Are you Jimmy I, Ward? Uh, Who when wants he was, to know? Well, yeah, when he was no, injured, they put the Sean uh, 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 they put the Sean Gibson in a, at safety, and Gibson played so well that it compelled them when Ward returned to use him more in the slot. Yes. Um, so, so that's that's been a change for the 49ers than in past years. Actually, if you think about, if you bring kind of everything full circle here, the uh, 49ers safeties were always Ward and Jaquiski Tart. And Jaquaski. Jaquaski Tart. I once spent uh, a Friday during the summer. Uh, grading that Jaquaski Tart signing. Remember that mm. texting you? Should we grade the move here? What should the grade be? And uh, and what was the grade? I forget, but I think I I oh I I, I think it was Eagles summer signings probably. Mm. And I think I might have compared it to Corey Graham that that, that did not come to fruition. And so, I think I I think I think you might be right. And I think I gave it a uh, uh, what's his face the the Cowboys guy who. Got cut and then came back and then talked smack on the team after he got Skandrick? cut. Again. Skandrick? Skandrick, yeah. Okay. I think so. Which actually turned out to be a pretty good guess yeah. because uh, <laughs> yeah, not only did he not make the team, but he then talked yeah. talk smack in getting cut. Yeah, I, I think I was debating between Cyprian and mm. and Graham. Cyprian yeah. wasn't a summer signing. He was a trade. Oh no, he was. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Then they traded yeah. him and they, for then Duke they traded him to Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. Howie's yeah. best trade. It wasn't Howie's best trade. But yeah, yeah, it was. Uh so who do you got? Tayshawn Gibson and Talanoa Hufanga? The All Pro, mm-hmm. or Marcus Epps, and who knows who it's going to be? Reed Blankenship, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, 
Avante Maddox? Yeah, I'll go San Francisco's combination here, especially with the way Hafanga's playing. Um, and uh, and Gibson's been really steady there. Can be uh, had deep, though. What's that? It can be had deep. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I, I'll still take San Francisco's. So where does that yeah, leave us? I guess, uh, well, if well, we're not done yet. Okay. Head coach. Who's gonna man? Who's gonna game plan better? Who's gonna manage the game better? Nick Sirianni or Kyle Shanahan? Who you got? Uh, so, so, so this one's tough. Like Nick, Nick has been awesome this year. He's been absolutely awesome. Um, I said I tweeted it on Monday. I said it on the pod the other, or, or uh, I I think I tweeted on Sunday. I said it on the pod Saturday night. Like he knows what the f he's doing, as he said after the game. He has this team ready. He's so good situationally, schematically. Um, but I, I I mean, Shanahan's been to this conference championship three times now in four years. He's coached the team to the Super Bowl. He's coached, he's won conference championships as a coordinator. Or he won a conference championship as a coordinator. Uh, so I guess I'll give the edge to that 49ers coaching staff because I've seen them win big games before. And I haven't seen it yet from the Eagles. I mean, they beat the Giants last week, but uh, this is a big spot here. So then as I say that, that's nothing against that's nothing against uh, Sirianni, who's been awesome. He's not but, watching anymore. He watched the first 10 minutes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'll give the edge to, to someone who I've, I've seen do it. I think you can make the case that yeah, I, I wouldn't argue that Kyle Shannon has the better body of work. That's fine. Who do I trust more in running this game? I trust the Eagles coaching staff. Okay. I, I trust them to be aggressive and go for it when it matters. And I think that, as I've already, I've been talking about all week, I think that can make a big difference in the game. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's or Jonathan Gannon. This is going to be tough for you. This is like this is like uh, Sophie's Choice for you, Zach. Now we got a real Sophie's Choice. Uh, I'll go D'Amico here, right? He's, what? He's, <laughs> all right. His 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 defense is ranked higher, right? It's um, all about rankings for you. I mean, the eye test shows it. His his defense play his, his defense it sure does. Well. He's got he's got um, comparable experience as as a coordinator here, right? So yeah, I mean, that, again, like just because you choose one doesn't mean you you choose against the other. I I think D'Amico. I mean, D'Amico was named today a Pro Football Writers Association um, Assistant Coach of the Year. So yeah, so so you're giving it to him just on the accolade. I literally just gave you 90 seconds before I mentioned the accolades. So, so for uh, you, for you, it's six to six. For me, it's seven to five. So you're going to have to break the tie with special teams. Uh, so two can you name? Or is that the thing? Yeah. Um, trivia question here. Or is it an Al you know? Al you know. <laughs> what is the hometown of Robbie Gould? State College? No. He did go to Penn State, though. It's 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 a place that Marissa, I think, likes to go to. But not the actual place. Canton, Ohio. Oh, I've actually, I've heard this. It's like Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania. He's from Jersey Shore, yeah. Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is like in the boonies. Oh, hold on. I, I activated Siri somehow. Hmm. I think I've had, that's so funny. I didn't know a Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania 
existed, but always when I was driving back from Ohio, I'd always see a sign that said Jersey Shore. Shore. And I just thought it was like telling me how to get to the Jersey Shore. Yeah, that's the home of Robbie Gold. So I'm pretty mind blown right now Mm. (laughs) that that was not the Jersey Shore I was thinking. That's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And you go through um, Blue Ball and all the other funny ones in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, you know, Zach. Before we get going, there is there is one big uh, upset here that we've made it through almost all of the fourth day of daily podcasts for an Eagles 49ers matchup. And as your cousin Lee pointed out, until this second, we have yet to mention Debo Samuel's Badonka Donk. I'm staying away from this one, Bob. The junk in the trunk. How can we how can we go this long? Maybe that's the quill of the tape. Um no, but so as we're doing this position breakdown, I there is something I don't think you're giving enough uh, enough credit to here. Okay. And uh I think Jimmy Kemsky, I used to make light of um the former uh Washington football team's name right there. Uh, they used to have the skin tangibles, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the and it was always like uh, Washington always got – they always had <laughs> yeah, the edge. Right, remember yeah. that? Um, but no, the, I, the intangibles matter here too. The Eagles have home field advantage, okay? And they have one more day of rest. Washington, uh, uh, I'm sorry, San Francisco played Sunday in a yes. tough physical game. And now they're getting on a plane cross-country. They're playing in a colder environment. I mean, it's not going to be freezing, but it's it's not going to be like 60 degrees. And, uh, you know, they're they're playing at, what, noon on their body clocks? Um, so, body clock. Yeah, I, I think uh, we can go through. Clock. I, I think the exercise we did position by position shows that, at, at least if you break down by positions, and there are deltas within each position, right? Um, Eagles have a bigger edge at, at, at quarterback than some other spots. San Francisco has a bigger edge at linebacker than some other spots. But um, they're, they're, the rosters are very close. Um, but I think – and I think the coaching staffs are – I mean, they can be draws too. The home field advantage and the extra day rest, that should not be dismissed here, right? That is a totally major agree. factor, and especially when you look at a rookie quarterback. So, yeah, I think that – uh, however, we break this down, that last intangibles column is huge for the Eagles. Imagine coming into the comments section on this podcast and wasting your time defending the uh, the old commander's name. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Find something else to do. You disagree? <laughs> I, I I actually don't have the comments. Yeah, Jack Del Rio has, has entered the chat. Good to have, you. have good to have you here, Jack. You know, as I've said in our new interface, I don't get the comments section, so mm, I, right. I can't tell you. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a pretty thorough um, open of the show. <laughs> that was pretty. So. Was a pretty good first segment. Um, <laughs> I think we've I think we've hit on the the main points. We'll come back tomorrow to you know to really dive into the matchup. What more do um, we have to talk about? But <laughs> uh, now that we've gone over the broad strokes, <laughs> I think it's time that we can now go to break, uh, and we will be back on the other side with Tim Kawakami from the Athletic San Francisco.
All right. Welcome back to Birds with Friends. Bo, Zach, joined now by Tim Kawakami, who covers uh, all things Bay Area. But we're obviously going to talk about the 49ers for The Athletic. Tim, first of all, uh, thank you for joining us. What's the what's like the vibe in in the Bay Area right now? How excited are they for this game? Like how, how surprised are they to be here? Not, I don't think they're too surprised just by the way the end of the season went. Obviously, 12 straight wins, including 10-0 uh, to finish the regular season. I think, you know, ask them when they were 3-4, and four, a very little different. Now, maybe in the locker room, not that. I'll tell you, it's pretty confident in the locker room. Always has been. Obviously, get the NFC Championship game last season. Uh, then you start losing quarterbacks. You know, who the hell knows? But that locker room either, either was putting on a really brave face and was great acting, or they really did believe that Brock Purdy could do something like this. Maybe not exactly this. I didn't think he could do this. I was open about that. I was public about that. And uh, I've been a surprise to anybody. I've had to tell several players. Uh, you guys knew it, and I didn't. But there's something going on here. We'll see what happens on Sunday. I don't think that ends the Brock Purdy story. It, it, you, you go through different things. But that part, I think it's more like, okay, is Brock Purdy good enough to win this game? Yes. Okay. Is he Brock Purdy enough? Good? Okay. Yes, he's good. Is he good enough to beat the Eagles in Philadelphia? We don't know. Um, I'm leaning no, but I, I'm not writing anything off with this kid and this team right now. They're very talented. And he's what, he, what he's just good is plugging into the Shanahan mind. He just – something's happened where those two guys have fused. You got Christian McCaffrey, you got Debo Sammy, you got George Hilly. He's just become a distributor. So I think the mood in, in the Bay Area is, can Brock Purdy do this? Uh, maybe, you know, with everything, that defense and everything else, time will tell. We'll see. But I think it's expectation more than it is like, oh, my God, like who knows what's going to happen. It's mm -hmm. like this could happen. It could. I don't know that it will, but it could. The full we'll know the full mind melt has happened when when Purdy's walking around in the flat brim hat, right? Yeah, yeah. I think he might want to. Like the, the, this thing happened early. We we're hearing about it in training camp. Yeah, I that's was, what I was going to ask about. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, that's where we see these guys, right? We can't see the regular practices, so I sure. I go as many as I po as possibly can. Uh, I have other uh, responsibilities, but for now, training camp, I really try to get to. And there was this whispering, oh, my God, it's Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, he's incredible. I'm, I'm looking, I'm going, I don't see it. I really don't see it. And and other people there didn't see it either, I will say. I mean, I wasn't the only one. I might have been the most vocal one. <laughs> I thought it was mainly like a reaction to, well, Trey Lance is a starter, but we're not seeing him pick this up in, you know, in the film room. And it's not translating. So this little guy over here, this guy we like, just because that happens, right? The little, the little third stringer is the guy that the coaches love because he does everything right in their minds, maybe not what a fan or an outsider would view. I was wrong. It was happening. Like, it was a literal thing that, I, you know, since talked to people, it's like he was taking things in the classroom. He was correcting things in the, lock, in, the, in the classroom that other quarterbacks weren't seeing, and he was taking it to the practice field, and they felt it. They saw it. Beat out Nate Sudfeld. Who cares? Big, big deal. That oh, we care very them. much here in Philadelphia. Yeah, that, that, Nate that, meant, and that meant a lot to them because they'd paid – Nate Suffolk, $2 million. Like right. He was going to be the backup. He had all the Jimmy Trey stuff going on, so we're kind of you know distracted by that. But I watched Purdy because I'd heard this kind of undertone that this is, you know, was this going to be RG3 Kirk Cousins all over again? Like, mm -hmm. it felt a little bit like that. And I always felt the Cousins RG3 thing with Kyle was like, he kind of got sick of RG3 more than he loved Cousins. And then he started loving Cousins. It started with this is not exactly what I want in quarterback. He's the one everybody wants me to love. So maybe it was something similar with Lance and Purdy, something similar to that. But then they just fell in love with Purdy. And then now we're seeing why, you know, he's not ever going to impress you physically. Like you're never going to go 
that's the story. Like he stands next to Trent Williams in the huddle, and you're like, oh, <laughs> who's this little kid who's decided to play quarterback wearing number 13? And he gets out there, he moves around, he's got incredible spatial awareness, he's got a quick little snap throw. Um, you know, it, it's not a big arm, but he gets it there because his legs are under him. Like he, he just manages to reset himself. I've always thought of it like elasticity. Can, can you mm. move left, stop, spin, and get on balance and throw accurately? He can do that stuff. We haven't seen him get pounded by a team. You know, and the Cowboys came pretty close, though. And, you know, obviously the Eagles have a better pass rush, one of the great pass rushes in, in the history of the league. So we'll see how he does with that. But I didn't see it. And then the second he gets out there, every player is like, yeah, this is the guy. This is the guy. Okay, I got. I think I got to trust them in 12-0. and 0. Uh, And he's, what, 7-0 and 0 as a starter, maybe more than what I saw at training camp. I, my, my, the one time I was fooled. I, I will admit that one. I did not see it. I've I, I watched a lot of quarterbacks in a lot of training camps, and uh, that one I missed, uh, and maybe for a lot of reasons because it just was happening like over tape. It was happening the transition from the tape to the huddle to, the, to what he was seeing out there. There were times like I will you know, Trey Lance was out there, in in a training camp drill and Kyle Yushik says, no, 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 that's the wrong play. That's the wrong play. Like literally at the line of scrimmage. That happens. So like, you know, that's like you kind of assume that young quarterback and Purdy was just, oh, this is what we're doing. No, you. And we've heard since like he's in OTAs as a seventh round pick, last player drafted. He's like, no, Debo, that's the wrong route. And he was right. And Debo didn't get mad because it was the wrong route. Like those sort of things I think are, we hear about this with backup quarterbacks all the time. And sometimes it's just bull. This time it was real. Like this time they meant it. It was you could take it, cut and paste it, and move it to an actual playoff game, and we're still saying it. I'll I'll pump up the guest for a second. Tim's long been one of my favorite columnists, so I I could ask questions from Bob Myers' future to uh, to Buddy Ryan's press conferences. But for the sake of the NFC Championship game here, this is the third time in four years the Niners are here. How does this team compare to the ones we've seen? The past two times. I mean, there's the whole Brock Purdy thing. I mean, I've, we've talked about it. If he's going to be a really good quarterback, then he, he's better than any quarterback. They've t- he's better than Garoppolo when, in both both times they've gone. Garoppolo was really good in 2019, but he wasn't this. Just extending plays, you know, making plays down, scoring touchdowns. Uh, the, you know, they ran the ball like crazy in the NFC playoffs, as everyone notes in 19. Even they were great team because partly because they could, partly because. Jimmy looked a little shaky in a couple of those games. So Shanahan just said, I'm going to run the ball. I ran the ball like 47 times in the NFC Championship game. Hmm. I don't, they don't do that anymore. They're, they're way more diverse. The whole playbook's open. I think they're a better team than 2019. Maybe not quite as talented. Richard Sherman is a pretty big deal uh, to have uh, in 19. You know, not quite as best, but very good. Uh, they had, uh, you, know, D, uh, you know, D Ford on the other side of both. So they just don't have somebody like that. Talent for talent. They had DeForest Buckner, who, who they traded away and, and didn't really get a, a huge return for. So I'd say that team probably was more talented. Joe Staley is your left tackle. Trent Williams is the best left tackle in the league, but they still had so much talent on that team, team, except for the quarterback. Again, I'm a Garoppolo guy. I defend him against everybody because he's the best they could do. He is not. He's a winning quarterback most of the time, you know, winning like 70% of the games uh, with 49ers, and they lost with every other quarterback except for him until this guy. So Purdy's better. Purdy, even if he gets destroyed by the Eagles, I would not be shocked by that. I don't think it's going to happen. Even if he does, it's not going to be like this guy's terrible. Guys get destroyed in playoff games. We've seen we've seen Brady look terrible in a mm. playoff game. This guy's not Brady, but 
I just think that element plus McCaffrey, it's a whole other, you know, you add, you drop Christian McCaffrey into this. I think this team is the best team they have had in the Shanahan era, mm. but I think the Eagles are the best team maybe other than the chiefs. So the chiefs, you know, were pretty good when they beat them. Super Bowl. I think the chiefs are better now uh, pending Mahomes injury, but I think the Eagles are the best team they're going to face in the Shanahan playoff era. I, mm. I just, and, mm. you know, and you add in on the road, you add in just yeah. the dimensions that the Eagles have. The Cowboys played them tough at, you know, at Levi's. And I think the Eagles are, you know, they're just, they're the Cowboys times three. And mm. I don't think the four Niners really faced that in this playoff era. One thing we've talked about this week, Tim, is in a game in which, you know, the margins might be so thin, such an evenly matched game, uh, it, it you know, it, there's a possibility it comes down to in-game management. And uh, Kyle Shannon has been conservative in these situations, not willing to go for it. And it seems like to be disconsonant with having such a good offensive mind and being such a good play caller. What's your vantage point on, on why that has always been the case? Yeah, I, I take some heat on this because I defend Kyle on this a little bit. Because he's protecting the defense, like he says, mm-hmm. like he doesn't want to turn over in a short field. He doesn't want to punt it with you know a minute five left and let the other team have the ball, even when they're playing great defense. And it's Dak Prescott who is not, who's literally giving you the ball back a lot of times. He just doesn't want to put the defense in that place. He knows he's got a great defense. I, if I was Kyle Shanahan, I'd ride that and say, you know what, I'm going to take more more gambles offensively because I know my defense can hold up. He's the rare offensive mind who thinks the other way. I want to protect my defense. That's what the running the ball is all about. It's protecting the quarterback and it's protecting the defense. That's what chewing up time is all about. That's what he wants to establish the way the game looks. And, you know, we know Andy Reid, great offensive minds. Andy Reid on down, they throw the ball, 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 throw the ball. So that is not Shanahan in any way, shape, or form. And if you are in that mindset, as he said, you know, when he's asked about burning, I asked him about burning 26 seconds off the clock at the end of the first half, and then you call timeout, and then you basically are just field goal or it. You can't do anything else. He's saying that's how you hold the team to 12 points. Like, that's how you do it. And it looks a little creaky, and he's been a little more open. I'd say a lot more open with Purdy. He's threatening downfield way more than he would with with, with Garoppolo certainly with them with Lance but he still thinks I don't want to expose my defense I want them to be fresh I don't want them worn down and I want them to be able to t- turn the ball over themselves and get the short fields for us and they have got a ton of short fields I think I had Mike Sando on my podcast he said they had the shortest Brock Purdy's had the shortest fields yeah. of any quarterback in the league and this is how Shanahan just thinks field position and, and it's weird for an offensive-minded coach who has coached some great – I mean, that Falcons offense in 2016 was open. You know, they threw the ball like 480 times, I think. But this is the way he thinks. He believes it works. Maybe, you know, if Purdy turns into this, you know, Kirk Cousins or plus, and I, I imagine he can be, they will throw the ball and open up throwing the ball a little bit more. They open up throwing the ball against the Seahawks. They might open up throwing the ball a little bit against the Eagles if they think, you know, there's going to be eight-man fronts, there's going to be five defensive linemen. But their heart and soul is running the ball and keeping the defense fresh and not having to defend short fields. It's just who he is. It's going to frustrate people. It has frustrated Fortnite fans from the beginning. I just say there is a way he looks at this game and he doesn't veer from it. And that's something to at least to appreciate from a you know overall view. I mean, you might not appreciate in the game. I do think Eagles might t- might you might change it up a little bit. And they have not been underdogs until now. They have not been 
they haven't played a team, you know, who can match their talent in this whole streak. The last one was the Chiefs who blew them out, and then they've won every single game since then. So there might be a different look to this, but his heart is to protect his defense. And I'll tell you, the defensive players really like that. They appreciate it. This is an offensive-minded guy who does not throw the ball 50 times, does not give them a you know 20-yard field. He lets he gives them an 80-yard field like every time he possibly can. And this defense, in his mind, is worth doing that for. Speaking about the defense, D'Amico Ryans gets a lot of attention here, former player in Philly. Uh, what's the secret to this defense? Why are they the top defense in the league? The talent. I mean, they, they got great talent. And I I think I just love linebackers. I'll show my Philly I'm Philly time back to <laughs> Seth Joyner, uh, Byron Evans, whatever. Uh, I just think linebackers connect you. They allow you to do both things, stop the run and cover the pass. You, have every, you need everything else. But Warner and Greenlaw specifically, uh, they bring in Alshair uh, when it's uh, there's tight end and fullback in the game. But it's like they just the, the middle of the field is covered. And I, if I had to say, like, what really different? Like when Four Niners back in the in the Harbaugh days in Vic Fangio's DC, they had Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman. So that middle of the field's covered, uh, and that's specifically important. Obviously, when the quarterback can move. Now they have allowed some quarterbacks to gain some yards against them, including Hertz last season uh, mm-hmm. when Hertz really wasn't throwing the ball that much. They get a little like, let's go pulverize somebody. If you play action them, you can throw it over their head sometimes. Jarrett Stidham did this, the great Jarrett Stidham. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so like there's some weakness there, and I, I'm sure I'm sure the Eagles are going to be looked to do it. But other than Bosa as the closer, as the single best defensive player in the league, and, you know, they've got Javarius Ward as their number one corner. They signed his free agent. They hit with him. He's very solid. He can get, can get beat. He's not locked down, you know, Darrell Revis, but he's good. Uh, they've got these linebackers who just tie it together. Fred Warner, co- you know, covering CeeDee Lamb deep on a deep seam. I mean, you just don't see that very often. That's what Derek Brooks like. Uh, and Greenlaw just flying to the ball. They are going to hit you hard. Greenlaw might get a 15-yard penalty in there once a game. But – those linebackers are different. They're just different. I mean, I look at the Eagles, and I, I am impressed by the Eagles, but I don't see that. Like, that's what mm-hmm. I don't – like, you don't see the Cowboys did not have that. Uh, it's special. When you watch the – you watch 54 or 57, like they're r- literally racing each other to the ball carrier. And one of them is going to hit them really hard, and the other one's going to be pissed off that he wasn't the one who hit them hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what Willis and Bowman were like. You just tied it together. Now, Greenlaw can get – you could get play action. Like there's no he and Hufanga, the safety, who is a all pro safety, which I was a little surprised by. He's a good player, he's a playmaker, but you can get you can go over the top with him. I think the Eagles are gonna be able to go over the top of the 49ers once or twice. Will they hit it? We'll see. Uh, but those guys run to the ball, man. They just those those linebackers, you you feel the linebackers, you feel these guys' speed and their toughness every single game. And then you have to figure out what to do. You know, for the offense, you have to figure out what to do to counter that because those guys are there. I've just got one more for you, Tim. I did want to ask you about the the Charles O'Menahue situation. Yeah. Um, and Kyle Shanahan saying that you know if he's healthy, he's going to play. Um, I don't know that he said that. He didn't. I don't know if he said that. He okay. said he's not off the team. He's not. Off we'll the see. Team. Yeah. What is he? I guess just generally, what is like the Niners' institutional history with things like this? Well, under yeah, Shanahan they had Lynch. Reuben Foster with this administration, which was terrible. I mean, they went through all kinds. So they loved him. They loved him as a person, loved him as a player, and he 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 kept getting into trouble with this one incident that continued and continued. Uh, and so they had a bad hit and they had to throw him off the team in the middle of the season. It was terrible. Um, 
previously, you know, in the Trent Baalke, Jim Harbaugh era, they had a massive ton. I don't know if you remember, they had Alden Smith, yeah. they had Ray McDonald, they had Bruce Miller, and, and they really handled it poorly. They seemed to gather these kinds of players, Baalke in particular, uh, and sometimes even coddle these kinds of players. And it was a massive mm -hmm. issue. Uh, it became a problem. I think Shanahan and Lynch have been pretty solid about it. No team's ever going to be perfect. Uh, the Ruben Foster thing was bad, but they did end up cutting him. Uh, so a man, a man, a man who situation comes up in the, you know, the week of the NFC championship right. game is a terrible timing, terrible situation. They at this point, they're backing him in, you know, in a tentative way. You know, okay. We we've checked again, who knows? Nobody knows the details of that. It is a terrible situation. Uh, you know, you, you just, nobody wants anybody who could, would be involved in something like that. I frankly think he might not just they use this not to play him. Like, <laughs> take the time to get through this. Now, you know, football coaches want to win games. Um, their history after the Reuben Foster thing is let's just not have anything to do with these guys. I don't know how you, you know, it's not a balanced situation when you're going into the NFC Championship game. You might want a minute who to, to rush the passer, but I don't know that they're going to play him. We'll see. He, you know, Shanahan, <laughs> excuse me, did not say. He's on the team. We're playing him. He said he's on the team still. Gotcha. Uh, and and he practiced yesterday, so may, maybe he's going to play. But I, I don't see it as a massive distraction. You know, obviously for the families involved, it's terrible. But um, I think it's probably a coin flip where he plays, and they're going to take a look at this. And you know, you know how teams do these investigations. They don't. I don't think there's. Yeah. It's not like they've got the. You know, incredible seven investigators going through everything, but I think they feel decent enough about it to think about playing him. He may or may not play him. If I'm them, I don't play him. I just don't play him. And then and continue the time. We'll see. And he's not the greatest player in the world. He's okay. That shouldn't be the barometer of this. I'm just saying as they weigh all these practical things, I just don't think I would play him. Uh, last one for me on a on a on a, a, a much different scale here, mm -hmm. but some dessert for our, our audience. Uh, you were on the ground floor of teams that are still kind of legendary, for lack of a better term, <laughs> here in Philly. Uh, what's your best Buddy Ryan story or story from that Eagles era that you can share with our audience? Yeah, I mean, people might remember, I don't know, maybe from long ago, I was pretty tight with Buddy. I was in my first job coming out of college, and for some reason, Buddy just liked me. And this was year two and year three of Buddy, and then, then, I, then I left after that. Uh, and we just something we got each other. He was, you know, profane. He whatever. He was stubborn, but we liked each other. He was colorful. Uh, and for some reason, I tend to like Harbaugh, you know, Jerry West. For some reason, these big personalities, uh, I, I get along. Maybe that says something about me. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I'll say I did play racquetball with Buddy once. Nice. Right, to, the, to the laughter of everybody down. The vet used to have this weird little dark tunnel that gets you to a racquetball court and the coaches will play there and I, I played buddy once I'm you know 23 years old pretty you know in good shape I played basketball played baseball and buddy kicked the bleep out of me. like he just destroyed me like getting in my way and oops sorry about that and taunting me and he just loved beating the crap out of a 23 year old uh, uh in, in racquetball when he was not in the greatest shape of his life and <laughs> My, I've told this story over and over again, but like Buddy, what I liked about Buddy, sometimes he wasn't great, but he was quick. Like he could go back and forth with you. Uh, and in a group, it's like one, you know, like a OTAs or whatever it was. And they just drafted Steve Kafusi like in the 10th round back then when they have a million rounds. 
and buddy could, you could tell defensive line kind of liked him and i just got kind of flustered and instead of asking what do you do you like about steve kafusi i asked what does steve kafusi like about you most <laughs> coaches are like what the hell he, he, he quickly looked at me and just kind of winked and said well i'm short fat and still look pretty good uh and it's like that the, the ability of uh, you guys have double coaches the ability of a coach yeah. to do it like that on a on a turning on a dime oh, it was pretty amazing uh I, I just got buddy i like buddy i liked all those guys i still talked to quick uh randall was fascinating jerome brown such and reggie uh but i'd say quick and, and buddy were the guys i got along the most with i was just young i was the same age as these guys a little bit i was younger than most of the players I was just talking to Quick on the phone. As I was like, I was young back then, man. He's like, yeah, we all were young. Uh, it was a young, fascinating group of guys who were a little crazy, and Buddy encouraged that. Uh, but it was fun to cover. They didn't win playoff games, and, and that, that's how you're judged. But, man, that was fun. It was a, Just imagine me just dropping into this, and it's like, just go. Go cover them. Mm. Go write stuff. And go get whatever you can. The first time I you know, was talking to Quick about this, I go out in, in the off season and, you know, I think I talked to him in the locker room and he said, yeah, come out and we'll talk at my house. And then this ended up in a day at Mike's house and his, his mother was out going fishing. So I went fishing with Mike and his mom and nephews and nieces. Can't really do that these days. Like yeah. I, yeah, this is not the way that, that team was like kind of that open uh, and very confident, very young uh, and kind of let loose a little bit and, you know, let loose maybe over the, uh, over the off the rails a little bit sometimes but man that was fun for me to cover it was really fun and the early days of wip and like it just was a crazy time uh and um i, I am glad to always look back on those days and i'm glad that sometimes people still sort of remember me in those days absolutely uh well tim kawakami thank you so much for for spending the time and uh giving us a little perspective you, um, you can listen to uh, Tim's podcast, The TK Show, on uh, wherever you get your podcasts, and obviously read him on The Athletic. And uh, that'll do it for this episode of Birds with Friends. We will be back on Friday with uh, Dayniz and another special guest, we're thinking. And so for Zach and Tim and Marissa and Elijah, I'm Bo. We thank you for listening. We will talk to you tomorrow, and as always, good luck.